1 Corinthians 1.21 says, In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So today's episode considers the question, how can we know God? Well, this is episode two of the, the new brand, I guess, for this podcast, and, and so now it's named Doctrine for Doxology. Now, on some podcast apps, the name may still say Bear Christianity, and so it, I know when I first signed up for a podcast a long time ago, it took a couple of weeks, actually, to show up, so so the name change is official on the uh, the RSS feed, sort of like the main hub where I store all the podcast episodes. But as it puts it out on different apps, sometimes those take a while to to update. So it'll either be Bear Christianity or Doctrine for Doxology. But this is episode two on Doctrine for Doxology. You can always connect with me, Doctrine for the number four, Doxology at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. Now, just to review, uh, the reason that this is called Doctrine for Doxology is doct- doctrines are the clear teachings of Scripture uh, given as statements of truth. So the Bible is obviously concerned not just to tell us stories and give us commandments, but to teach us about God so that we may know the true and living God. And so that's what doctrine is about. We need to know the doctrines that are taught in the Bible uh, because we it, it's so important that we know the true God. It's very easy to kind of make up a God in our own minds and and worship that God instead of what God has revealed, you know, who God has revealed he is in scripture. And so uh, that's that's the doctrinal part. Now, you can know all of this stuff as kind of a head knowledge, but unless you apply it to your life, Unless you worship God in spirit and in truth, then you're you're missing the purpose that God has revealed himself to us. And so that's where the doxology comes in. Doxology is a combination of two Greek words. Doxa means glory or honor, and logos means, means a word or saying. And so a doxology is a glory saying, uh, is a... Is a rough way to translate that. And so it's a, a sh- typically a short phrase which proclaims praise to God. And there are several doxologies in Scripture. I, I mentioned those last week. And then there's a specific song called the doxology that you may be familiar with as well. But in a more general sense, doxology could be thought of as our worship, the the way we live our daily lives, our praise of God. So the truths, the doctrinal truths that we learn from the Bible about God, that should affect our doxology. So there you have it, doctrine for doxology. So uh, today, let's jump right in. This is Today's going to be about revelation. Now, not the book Revelation, but revelation from God, God revealing himself to us. And again, the, the main question would be, how can we know God? And so uh, the scripture passage that I'll, I'll be referring to a lot is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 18 down to 25. So 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, for the word of the cross is folly, or, or that would be foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So how can we know God? There's there's a few different ways that we go, you know, if, if I break it down into some some very basic categories, if you ask somebody, how can you know something to be true? I think you can break it down into two main categories, and that would be empiricism and rationalism. So this would be like the the worldly ways of knowing truth, empiricism and rationalism. Empiricism would be experience based on experiences. I you know what you see, touch, taste, feel, smell, um you the the way you feel and so uh, that would be one way you can know things. The other one would be rationalism and this would be the the this would involve um, like, like, think about the question: Is it is it rational? Is that a rational belief? So this would be like logical argumentation uh, and, and philosophical reasoning, things like that. So it's not necessarily that you're experiencing it; it's uh, but but you're contemplating these these concepts in your mind, and you want it all to make sense. And so those are the the two basic ways that that man will try to. Uh, get to God to to try to know God, um, and then that, so that's man's ways, and then there is God's way, and God's way is revelation. Now there are two basic categories of God's revelation. There's general revelation that would involve creation. Um, the the heavens declare the glory of God. So the so as we look around at creation, that is God's general revelation of Himself. The way the sun, moon, and stars move in an organized pattern all of that reflects on on god so that is general revelation but general revelation is not enough to for for someone for a sinner to be made right with god in order for a sinner to have peace with god they need special revelation and so typically in Christian circles, when we think about revelation from God, God revealing himself to us, a lot, most of the time we're talking about this special revelation. Now, special revelation of God would be God revealing his nature and character to us, and usually it's involved around his saving grace, the, the salvation. So either uh, as God's revealing himself to us, he reveals that he, his holiness and his justice. And so that, you know, it comes into play when we think about his saving grace, but also the, the you know, the book of Revelation and the, the end times and, and what happens um, to us for eternity, all of that revolves around God's saving grace. So special revelation is God revealing himself, who he is, his nature and character, the attributes of God, 
uh, so that we might know him. And we only get that through special revelation. So if we think about these ways that man tries to know God and and God's way to know God, we can see that in this passage that I, that I just read. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 21 through 23 again, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 through 23. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. And, and that would be, you got to be careful here because there's the wisdom of God and then Paul also uses the word wisdom here, and that that would be more like man's wisdom. So let me start over. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, through man's wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So when we think about empiricism and the, the things that we can see and taste and touch and our experiences, right here, the Bible says, for Jews demand signs. And so throughout the history of the Jews, God had shown them many signs. Uh, that think about the 10 plagues when, when they were slaves in Egypt, and then they cross the, God parts the Red Sea. God gives them manna in the wilderness and water from a rock. The, the pillar of fire guides them by day through the, through the wilderness. And so God uh, has shown them many signs. He gave them prophets like Elijah and Elisha that worked miracles. And so God certainly has given the Jewish people signs. If we think about the New Testament, after feeding the 5,000, so Jesus has just performed this wonderful miracle where he, he feeds the, the 5,000 people, probably more than that. On the very next day, John 6.30 says, they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? So Jesus has just fed all these people with five loaves and two fish. And, and the next day, they're asking him for a sign to prove who, who he said he is. Um, in a, in a, another section of Scripture, Matthew 16, they're, they're also the Jewish leaders are asking for a sign. And, and Jesus' response is this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now, the sign of Jonah being that Jesus was in the tomb for three days and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. So that's the he said that's the only sign that, that they will be given. Now, if the Jews demand signs, then but why didn't they believe in Jesus? So that they certainly got the signs. In fact, John twenty verses thirty through thirty one, the apostle John tells us why he wrote the gospel according to John. It says, "Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name." Now, so so if signs are good enough, if if empiricism is good enough for them to know God, then they they should you know this this would have sealed the deal. But the problem is that they did not, they were not believing the revelation that God has had given of himself, the revelation of who the Messiah would be. Think about Jesus' ministry. He does these signs. He, he performed tons of miracles. 
but he is claiming to be the Messiah. And and he's constantly pointing them back to the Old Testament and showing them that he is the true Messiah. See, the signs are simply a, a way of proving the message, proving the revelation that God had already given the people. The sign alone is not what uh, what shows people who God is. The, the sign is what validates the message. The same thing with the apostles when they were first sent out after Pentecost, and they spread out and start preaching the gospel throughout the known world. They were, they were temporarily given gifts to, to do miracles and speak in tongues. And, and so those that validated their message. But it is not the miracles, it's not the signs that convince people to believe. We have many examples in Scripture where the sign alone was, was never enough. One that I think about is in John chapter 9, there's a man born blind. And a very important part of that is in Isaiah three different times, Isaiah 42, 7, Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, 5. Three different times in Isaiah, there's messianic prophecy that the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. And so in this was a huge miracle in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind. And But the sign alone was not enough for the people to believe. The Jewish leaders did not believe. In fact, they were trying to find any way around believing that this truly was a miracle. They, they said, oh, this, this was a, a different man. They, they go up to the man who was healed, and they're like, tell us, you know, uh, tell us the truth. He didn't really heal you. They're, they're, they keep going back to him. They go to the, the man's parents to see if it's actually the same person that maybe there was a lookalike who could see, and, and Jesus is tricking everybody. So they would not believe the sign, because if they if they did believe the sign that Jesus had truly healed the man born blind, that would have been a direct correlation that, that he is the Messiah, according to the prophecies that no doubt these Jewish leaders knew from, from Isaiah. So that's one example. Um, another example would be on the road to Emmaus. We talked about this last week, but the sign of Jesus' resurrection was not the main issue. Now, G- Jesus did raised from the dead. But Jesus didn't just show up to these disciples that are walking back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He didn't just show up and say, "Okay, I'm, you know, I'm resurrected, that's that." No, his purpose in in being with them was beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It what it's he 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 doesn't He's not so much concerned about the sign, the miracle of the of his resurrection. He wants to make sure they understand why the Messiah had to die and and why he is resurrected. And he points them back to the revelation that had been given from God, Moses and the prophets. And then the last example I'll give you here because I think this is a a big point. Jesus tells a story of a rich man and Lazarus. So when they both die, the rich man is rich, of course. That's why he's called the rich man. Lazarus is very poor. When they die, Lazarus goes to paradise, Abraham's bosom, and the rich man is in Hades, a place of torment. And so the, the rich man in the story is pleading with Abraham to, for Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to, to touch the tip of the rich man's tongue because he is, he is in torment. He's burning in torment. 
and Abraham says, no, there is a great divide between these two places that, that no one can cross. And so then the rich man, he, has, he, he pleads to Abraham. He says this. This is Luke 16, and I'll read verses 27 through 31. So this is the rich man speaking. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is very powerful right here because we hear it today. It's a common thing uh, when atheists are talking to Christians, You know, they, this, this claim that, well, if God showed up right now or if God would you know, strike down that tree with lightning right this second. Three, two, one, go. You know, they they make these demands of God to show them some sort of sign. And they say, if God would do that, then I would believe. Uh, right here, we're told, as Jesus is, is telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that if if people do not believe the Bible, God's revelation, Moses and the, the prophets would be a, a, a um, reference to the Old Testament. If they do not believe that, they will not believe the signs, even if someone were to, to rise from the dead. So the Jews demand signs, but that is not the way that you know God, just by signs. You, it's deeper than that. You've got to believe God's revelation about himself. And so the Jews demand signs. The Greeks seek wisdom. And this is a is a correlation to rationalism that I talked about earlier, where the, you know, when you think about Greeks, you, you think about these men in robes sitting around um, contemplating the, the deepest <laughs> philosophical questions. And so the Greeks seek wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of God, it's man's wisdom, worldly wisdom wisdom. Uh, in Acts 17, 21, this is, is um, Paul is getting ready to, to visit Athens, and it says, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So this was like the, the academic elite they would all gather and they and they just wanted to contemplate new information all the time. And so Many people in this in in seeking worldly wisdom, they reject God, and a lot of times it's because the the truths of Christianity and the truths taught in the Bible they don't answer all of the those people's philosophical objections. So they you know someone who refuses to believe in God may say, if I could just understand it all, it, it doesn't make, this doesn't make sense to me. If I could understand it all, then I would believe. Well, the truth is, it's not unreasonable to believe in God. It's not irrational in any way, but you must come in humility, knowing that you will not be able to figure it all out. God is eternal. Can you truly wrap your mind around what it means to be eternal? You you can't. You can't. So you can you can affirm the truth. So God tells me in the Bible that He is eternal. 
And so if someone says, you know, God has not always existed, there was a certain point in time when when he came into being, I would say, no, that is false. So I can I, I know what eternity means, but I can't wrap my head around all of what eternity is at a you know a philosophical level. I, I just we are bound by space and time. So we just can't grasp that. And so you're not going to be able to understand all the things of God. I mean, why would you be able to? You are you are his creation. He is creator and you are his creation. You will not be able to to understand him in in, in a complete way. The only way you can know anything about God is because God has chosen to reveal himself to you. And so that the this this worldly wisdom this sitting back and thinking about all the different philosophical arguments is not going to work that's not the way that you're going to know god so man's way will never work you can't use empiricism you can't use rationalism to to know what you need to know about god and that that would be that you know how to be at peace with God, how to be in a uh, in a right relationship with God, how to truly know God's nature and character. You will not arrive at that by just man's ways. Now, the, the reasons for that I've mentioned before that we are limited in space and time. So there, our our thoughts are limited. Also, our thoughts are corrupted. the The doctrine of total depravity, which we'll talk about down the road. But this doesn't mean that man, like every man is as bad as they possibly can be. What it means is that everything is corrupted. Not It's not just our physical bodies, but also our thoughts. Everything uh, about the human life is corrupted because of sin. And so our, our thoughts are limited by space and time. We can't grasp some of the, the attributes of God, the qualities of God, but we we also our thoughts are corrupted by sin and so man's ways will never be able to reason up to god the 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 final way that we will that man's ways will never be able to to know god is because god designed it that way listen to 1 corinthians 21 through 24 so here's the same passage of scripture for since in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, we the only way we are going to know God is through God revealing himself to us. And so one of the errors that Christians make, and and I'm guilty of this as well, is we think that if we could just somehow prove the signs, if there was some way we could prove the miracles, um, you know, I've done podcast episodes on how the resurrection is a, a very rational thing to believe in. When you look at just the historical facts that are well accepted, but even by atheists, uh, when you look at the resurrection, there's just not a whole lot, a lot of valid explanations except that Jesus actually did rise from the grave. And so we we think when we're witnessing, if I could just somehow prove 
the the miracles actually happened. If I could somehow prove those signs, then that you know, then a person would certainly come to know God. Uh, in the same way, thinking about rationalism, an error that Christians make in witnessing is we think if I could just craft some sort of logical or or rational argument, if if I could come up with with a just a a, a solid locked up argument for Christianity, then then the person I'm I'm telling this to would just have to know God, right? And and so that's our that's our error. We we um we try to approach it in that way. Now we certainly use empiricism and rationalism in apologetics. We we are supposed to uh present a reasonable defense for why we believe the gospel. And God certainly uses those types of arguments to to get people thinking. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to people believing the revelation that God has given us. That is what's most important. And so as you're witnessing, you always want to be praying that that God would work in that person's heart to open the eyes to the truth of who he is, the, the truth of this special revelation that, that God gives us. Now, Let's talk more specifically about Revelation. Here in this passage, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And so how am I how am I going to work in Revelation here into this passage? Well, Christ crucified, Jesus Christ on the cross. In that moment, that's probably the greatest revelation of the nature and character of God. In the cross, we see God's holiness, his justice. No one ever gets away with sin. But we also see God's grace and his mercy. We see his love in, in, in the cross. And so when we preach Christ crucified, that is the culmination of the special revelation that God has, has given to us. That message, the gospel message, is the, it's the very nature and character of God on display for us to see when we see Jesus Christ crucified. And so that is the special revelation. That is how we know God when we more fully understand what is taking place as Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross. Now, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. First, the reason it's a stumbling block is because, again, the Jews had misinterpreted uh, m- or forgotten, or you know, in in some way, they had missed the point of Moses and the prophets. Jesus was constantly pointing them back to the Old Testament to to tell them who He truly was, but they missed it. And so, the Christ crucified is a stumbling block to them because they they demand signs to know truth, and the signs. Were, were just simply not adding up. They thought the Messiah was going to be some political ruler that was going to you know, take over and, and get them out from under the bondage of the Roman Empire. And when it looked like Jesus was not going to be that person, they turned on him. And so many people in that crowd that were yelling to Pilate, crucify him, had probably seen miracles performed by Jesus, but the signs were not enough. Now, when we th- when we think about the Greeks seeking wisdom, and and this Christ crucified is folly to the Gentiles who don't believe. It's foolishness. 
Um, when when Paul is speaking in at the Areopagus, so he's speaking to the Athenians, um, he says this. He says, "...the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. This right here, they they mocked as Paul is telling them about Christ being crucified and then raised from the dead. They mocked. It was foolishness to them that Paul started talking about the resurrection. Now, praise God, there were others who wanted to hear more about this, but but for the for the Greeks there they they mocked him it was foolishness to them so if you don't believe the revelation from god you will find a way around the signs and and rationally it will seem like foolishness to you that this message of christianity so it has to start with believing the special revelation of god the the signs and the and and rational arguments are just not going to do it for you. Now, why wouldn't God want people to know him through this through the worldly wisdom? First uh, Corinthians 121 again says for since in the wisdom of God this is this is God's choice, his decision in the wisdom of God because God is so wise, the world did not know God through wisdom, through the through worldly wisdom, through empiricism and rationalism. The, you can't know God that way. But Paul says that that's it's it was a it was wise of God to make it this way. It pleased God that the world would not know them through not know him through worldly wisdom. And why is that? It's because if the knowledge of God, if knowing God was for the the worldly wise okay then it would be it would be reserved for the elite for the sophisticated for the intellectual and mankind would boast in himself for achieving this knowledge of god and this is what we want to completely avoid in our Christian walk, we want to live but knowing that we know God by His grace alone. And so it doesn't make us better than anyone else. And as we learn the, the different doctrines, certainly we're growing in our intelligence of the Bible. But our approach to that is still humility and and glorifying God's grace in showing us this. It is not because we are intellectually elite the the world will does not know god through worldly ways and so it is the wisdom of god that it completely depends on god revealing himself to us not how how smart we are in this world and so it's completely the grace of god and and we are totally dependent on this special revelation of God in order to know anything about his nature and character and also how to be at peace with him now, Martin Lloyd-Jones says there is no Christianity apart from Revelation. Certainly, we are so blessed today to have God's Word, the Old and New Testament. Uh, but when we think back in history, before the, the Bible was written, how did God reveal himself in this special revelation sort of way? 
Well, we have what's called theophanies. This is visible manifestations of God. So this would be like God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. This would be the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Also, God speaks and acts in human terms. Uh, the fancy word for this is anthropomorphisms. So this is this is God speaking to us. He he is condescending to us and and communicating to us on our level. So he speaks and acts in human terms. God is not a human. Um, now, certainly Jesus took on flesh, but but I'm talking about like even in the Old Testament, God speaks in human terms, and, and that is a way that he communicates himself to us. He, he kind of comes down to our level and tells us about himself on our level. Throughout the Old Testament, um, you'll, you'll read passages where the angel of the Lord appears, and if you just keep reading in the context, it's actually the Lord himself. An example of this is Exodus 3. This is when Moses is... is um, God comes to Moses in the burning bush. So Exodus 3, verses 2 through 4 say, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord, so again, the angel of the Lord, early in verse 2, appeared to him in a flame. In verse 4 it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called to him out of the bush. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and then God called out called to him out of the bush. So here the angel of the Lord in the context is God himself. Also, Joshua, in Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15, this is the commander of the Lord's army, and I think this is a reference to the Lord himself as well. Joshua 5, 13 through 15, when Joshua was by Jericho, so this is right before the battle of Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that sound familiar? Take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. That's what God said to Moses out of the burning bush. And here, the commander of the army of the Lord says this to Joshua. Also, notice Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped this commander of the Lord's army. In the Bible, there's several times where people fall on their face and worship angels, and the angel immediately rebukes him and says, do not worship me, worship God alone. So this commander of the Lord's army accepts the worship that should only be given to God. And so this is a, this is a, um, I think, a manifestation of, of God himself in, in a human form. It says a man was standing before him with a drawn sword. So God has, you know, there's these visible representations of God throughout even the Old Testament. God also directly speaks to some people and reveals himself that way. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to um, Saul of Tarsus. So God speaks to people directly in Scripture. God also has given us miracles and signs and wonders. And again, 
it is not the the sign alone that is the important thing. The sign comes with a message. The miracle comes with a message. There's a, a purpose. The, the, the miracle is what validates the messenger, but it's the message that is most important. And so they, the miracles teach us about God's power, His mercy, His sovereignty. God has given us special revelation in visions and dreams. And so I think about an example would be Joseph being warned in a dream to flee, that Herod was seeking to kill all the young boys. Um, God also reveals himself this in this special revelation through redemptive acts in Scripture. This would be like Noah and the flood. God God preserved Noah and his family. The, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea. So God's revealing himself in in these things. Now, most importantly, God reveals himself in Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in, in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son. Also, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, this is a really important passage in in this topic. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Listen to this. This is talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God, so here it says Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So Jesus, when Jesus took on flesh, he is showing us the nature and character of God, but on a, a human level. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God, some translations say the only Son who is at the Father's side. This, again, is talking about Jesus. So no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so Jesus is the one who explains God the Father to us. And so that that's where we have, Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God uh, to us. So that's you know the the doctrinal part of it the doctrine of revelation is that god is the one who reveals himself to us man cannot uh contemplate in himself and reach a knowledge of god that we need in order to be right with god no the only way is that god has to reveal himself to us it's downward it's from god down to us not man reasoning up toward God. That is the the doctrine of revelation. And without God's special revelation, man would never figure it out on his own. So that's the the doctrinal part of it. Now, the doxology part of it, how does this affect our daily lives? How does this help us in our worship, our true worship of God? Well, we have to realize that the revelation of God is a gracious act of God. We don't deserve it, but God has chosen to make himself known to us. And this is this is 
precious for the Christian, understanding that that God um, reveals himself and, and shows us who he is. This is, again, 100% his grace, and our boasting is always in the Lord. It, we we simply glorify the Lord for him revealing himself to us. It is It is not out of our own wisdom that we know God. It is God revealing himself to us. So in closing, Jesus ascended. I said Jesus was the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus ascended, but he sent the Holy Spirit to be with the apostles and everyone who would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit today. Now, today we do not have Jesus walking about teaching people. Instead, we have the the, the only special revelation from God that we have today is the Bible. John Murray says this, Scripture is the only revelation of the mind and will of God available to us. This is what the finality of Scripture means to us. It is the only extant revelatory word of God. That's how important Scripture is. And so, to, so Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, but Jesus, how do we know what Jesus said and did and taught? And, and how do we know all the prophecies that Jesus appealed to to prove that he was truly the Messiah? It is in the Bible. That is God's spe- special revelation to us. And so next week, we will talk about the authority of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 1, 28 through 31. So this these are the verses right after the main passage that I've been reading today, how the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Right after that, verses 28 through 31, this will be our closing uh, verses for, for today. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 